The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomapete on SAFM. I never ever want to mispronounce anybody's name, certainly family name. So, Lee Minard, you will forgive me for asking this question every single time. Advocacy Manager at HPCA. Good evening, Lee. Welcome back. Good to have you on our show. It's so good to be back. Thank you, Songhezo. 9 October, World Hospice and Palliative Care Day, a day that this sector is spotlighted across the globe, of course, COVID-19 pandemic has brought the reality of life-threatening diagnoses into everyone's homes, and yet 14 members of the Hospice Palliative Care Association had to close their doors in 2020-2021 due to a lack of funding. So we need to do that much more in society in relation to hospice and related palliative care, but with less. It's similar to the conversation I've just had in the education space. Now, these are serious challenges, more especially when you're dealing with a health pandemic, global health pandemic. Say more about this thing, because this is quite sobering, isn't it? It, it really is, and, 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 and you, you framed it so beautifully. But I think what really sort of highlighted for me was a day, an article on the Daily Maverick just today that, that highlighted that had we integrated palliative care into our health care system prior to the pandemic, we would have been so much better prepared to deal with life-threatening illnesses. We would have been able to avail bereavement support. We would have been able to have difficult, you know, healthcare workers would have been better able to have difficult conversations with, with families. We would have been better at symptom management, pain management. And, and I think what COVID has highlighted to us is that pandemics are, are here to stay. And, and so, you know, palliative care is not just a nice to have. It's, it's something very essential that we have to act quickly to put in place or, or continue to pay the price emotionally, physically and socially. You've touched on a conversation I had just this morning with a friend of mine, but I will address that a little bit later. You mentioned the fundamental of healthcare, and I'm just wondering if whether or not there is an understanding in its framing, palliative care, hospice, specialized care. Is it generally in the healthcare space understood in similar terms as basic healthcare? Because I, I suspect from what little you have said and from what little I've read that it isn't seen as that largely because it requires specialized care for those who've got irreversible conditions sometimes or a lot of the time. Sometimes it's with the older generation as well and they don't need the kind of emergency health care typically that you'd find in a trauma room. So purely from a framing perspective, do you get that it is not quite seen as something which should attend and be part and parcel of basic health care, both in rhetoric, in funding, in treatment? Absolutely, and I think that's why, you know, we're so grateful for the opportunities to speak about this and and try and participate in in reframing it, because one of the things I say at the get-go is that palliative care begins, or should begin, or should be availed at the point of receiving a a life-threatening diagnosis. COVID is a life-threatening diagnosis. You know, cancer obviously is a well-known one, HIV, AIDS, tuberculosis, so many, so many illnesses which have racked South African society in particular. And whilst pursuing a cure, 
palliative care should be introduced. Palliative care doesn't mean giving up. Palliative care doesn't mean a, a friend of mine who had cancer saw that her doctor had written palliative care on, on her folder and, and panicked, you know, and said to the doctor, does this mean I'm dying? And, and those are the things we have to try and change. Palliative mm. care doesn't mean you're dying. It means this is a, you're, fa- you're incredibly vulnerable, you and your family. You're facing, you know, an existential, spiritual, emotional, physical crisis, and you're incredibly vulnerable and you, you need support. So whilst pursuing a, a cure, palliative care can and should be introduced. You know, having a life-threatening illness doesn't just affect the person who's ill. It, it, it sends ripple waves through, through the family. And that's why palliative care is multidisciplinary. There are social workers, there are spiritual carers, there are psychologists, nurses, doctors. You know, it's, 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 it's fundamental care that is sadly misunderstood. And it's not just for old people. You know, yeah. we all know how profoundly scary it is when, when young people get life-threatening diagnoses. You know, that is so unexpected. And we don't have enough in place to support their families and parents. And really, it's, it's a human rights issue. It's about Absolutely dignity. A human rights no issue. one should have to suffer in the face of, of you know, at such a vulnerable, scary, and often painful time. There is medication that can help. And, and we're not availing it. Morphine, you know, is, is, is massively helpful when you're facing We just don't supply enough morphine in this country. We don't understand how to use morphine. Anyway, so there are many mm-hmm, dimensions mm-hmm, to this mm-hmm. that are poorly misunderstood. No, I'm happy for you to speak because I think the more you ventilate the issues, the more then perhaps we can actually understand from the perspective of palliative care precisely its links to ultimately dignity in a society. And which is more from what you were talking about or talking to. I I don't get the sense what is required to at least improve on our palliative care space, for for lack of a better term, the palliative care space. We we don't need what we essentially don't have. We, we, We need social intervention, but I think we just need good hearts out there to be with those persons who can't for all intents and purposes look after themselves in this country. Doctors will tell you they've got the qualifications, they've got the skills, they've got the necessary hunger to be in employment. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, they are not in employment. And even when we are employing doctors, they come from Cuba. Early on in the conversations of COVID-19, there were field workers who were being trained in many respects from what you have said. I don't separate too much, if at all, the function mm-hmm. of those field workers to the function of palliative care workers going mm-hmm. to the spaces where the health care need is required into those homes. And I mean, if you're going to be talking about field workers in COVID-19, far more dangerous given how COVID-19 itself is contracted as a virus versus going to look after somebody who has any of, um, goodness, what is it, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, kidney disease, al- Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. Parkinson's. You name it, it's there. Now, why can't we get our resources, both from a healthcare perspective as well as from a social development perspective, to coordinate so that we can have more people in palliative care space offering such required services? Because, final point, some 24% of patients are bedridden and require extensive care from multidisciplinary healthcare teams. And of course, you provide this, but this is the Department of Health function, and I would even argue through my reading of the law that it is a social development function. 
to society mm. and its integrity and its dignity. Comment? Well, absolutely. Where to start? I mean, for starters, I think, you know, it, it, it becomes slightly philosophical, doesn't it? You know, as a society, we are so death-avoidant. So palliative care, shockingly, is not integrated. Um, or very, In very few universities is palliative care taught to doctors, to nurses, to social workers, to psychologists. You know, it, 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 it's, we are so focused on preserving life at all costs, we just don't even talk about death. We don't prepare our doctors to support people through death. That's crazy. <laughs> and, and more, you know, for the, for the patients themselves, but also for the doctors, so that when their patients die, which, you know, does sometimes happen when you're very sick, yeah. or at the end of your life, you know, it's kind of inevitable. Our doctors, our poor doctors are not prepared. Unless are not prepared. Our social workers are not taught. Um, but death happens to all of us, you know, and, and it sends shockwaves through through families, through societies. We're feeling it in COVID and no one's been prepared. The World Health Organization has mandated that all healthcare workers, and that includes occupational therapists, you know, nurses, all, all of these should at least have at least minimum palliative care training. But, but as you were saying earlier, it's kind of bizarre that we don't we don't we don't think to train them in in the thing that everyone is going to have to face. So we've as a society, I think, you know, there's there's a, there's a broader philosophical conversation about why why is death seen as failure? Why you know you know how do we make death less scary and just see it as a natural part of life? So. You know, we're so disappointed, we don't even train, we don't prepare people to support people through what is actually inevitable. Secondly, for, you know, for, for, the, for the very few South Africans, only 17% of South Africans have access to medical insurance. And probably about 70% of them, you know, if, and these are based on surveys done, have said that they would prefer to die at home. But 60% of them end up dying in hospitals. Why? Because they can. Because we're so death avoidant that we just throw the book at them and spend, you know, most of medical aid's money is spent in the last two weeks of life on, on treatments that are a futile. So, you know, 85% of, of, of the healthcare spend is spent on those 17% who are insured mostly at the end of the life on futile treatments. So how do we just, I mean, it just seems ironic. How do we just... So even from a spend a perspective, even from a spend well, perspective, spend, exactly. it doesn't make the kind of it's sense huge. it otherwise could it's make. Huge. Now, he, he, here's a if question. We, if medical aids paid hospices to care for the people who actually want to die in homes, who don't want to die in hospitals, to actually be cared for in hospitals hospices would be more sustainable and they will be able to use that funds to also provide you know care to other people so you know just for the people listening know that that this is a right if you know someone who is terminally ill accessing a hospice doesn't mean you're giving up i'll tell you what using your medical aid money to ask for home-based care rather is your is your right we have the empty sustain hospices we have to turn this around it's skewed and it's crazy I don't want to kill your passion. We have the MD of the Board of Healthcare Funders later this evening. Can we call you? And you put this to him, just these last two sentences to him as you have. Because, I mean, I don't imagine it wouldn't be something within the competency of the Board of Healthcare Funders themselves who represent the funders to engage. Because ultimately, ultimately, because they are running businesses.
healthcare funders well, well, are administrators. I tell you something very, very sad is that one of the greatest champions we had for, for palliative care was the former uh, chair of, 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 of the Board of Healthcare Funders, Dr. Clarence Minnie. And he was one of the first to fall to COVID. And his wife, Nancy Minnie, spoke beautifully that even a doctor, even the head of the Board of Healthcare Funders, even someone who's deeply vested in palliative care, who understood palliative care, he and his family were unable to access palliative care and he died without dignity and the family was traumatized. Even someone with access to government and connections, even he died without the dignity that, that, that his wife longed for. <laughs> you know, um, the, the, the current view, it's rife throughout our society and very, very sad. Yeah, um... Lee, thank you very much. Do keep your phone on and on charge. Hopefully we can have you contribute to Dr. Gatlejo Mutudi, MD of Board of Healthcare Funders. Of the many things he'll be speaking about, I will actually um, sort of speak to him initially and say, please be on the lookout for this so it doesn't appear as an ambush of any kind. 2051, Lee, thank you very much. Chat soon. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye.